In John chapter 15, it says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I know we're a military community, like Pastor Jarrett mentioned, and you may know someone or be aware of someone. I know as a country that there have been people that have laid down their life for us to have the freedoms and religion that we have, and I know that we're extremely grateful and thankful. So if you don't mind, one more time, let's honor them. Yep, amen. Definitely a church of honor. Love to try to give honor where honor is due. Uh, if you're not aware, I'm not Pastor James. Uh, I am Ricky. Uh, my wife and I lead the student ministry. James and Cody are at our uh, Greater Little Rock campus. He's bringing the word there last night and today. Uh, but I want to honor him and just say, hey, thank you. If you listen to this podcast later on, I'll say thank you for trusting me uh, to speak. Uh, even with him not being here, that's a big step uh, because he hasn't always trusted me to speak, um, just to be honest. Um, about a little over two years ago, I spoke on Sunday for the first time, um, and he wanted to make sure that I knew what I was doing, that I wasn't going to say anything that would necessarily offend anybody. He wanted to make sure that the jokes landed, which most of them didn't. He wanted to make sure that the pace was okay, all of these things. And so I thought I was just going to be able to send him my notes and that James would allow me to speak after he kind of went through the notes. And if you know Pastor James, that's not going to work very well. He uh, he basically led a Christian boot camp for about eight or nine years. And so he could be a, a, a little, a lot intense at times. And so he said, I want to hear you speak your message. And so I thought I was just going to like do a voice memo and send him this message over email or text. And he said, no, I want you to speak the message to me in person, just me and you. And I said, can I give you my two weeks right now? <laughs> it's like, I don't want to. So I came here in this room, James is sitting in the chair right here, and for 35 minutes, giving my message to 800 empty chairs and God, James took notes and just watched me with <laughs> a little bit of intense on his face, and uh, it was uh, extremely intimidating, but there was a trust process I had to walk through, and um, I made it through that time, and uh, hopefully I'll make it through the day, but I'm extremely thankful for our leadership here at NOC Cabot. I know that they love y'all, they love our city, they are so passionate about our city, and they love our state. If you don't know their story, they had never been to Arkansas, and then all of a sudden moved here when they met Pastor Rick to be part of the vision. They'd never been to Arkansas, didn't know where it was on a map, but all of a sudden came here to help out with New Life Church, and so we're very thankful for them. Um, we're in week two of our parable series, talking about the words that Jesus spoke. In Colossians 3.16, it says, remember what Christ taught. And let his words, everyone say words, his words enrich or change your lives to make you wise. And so our aim, our goal with this series is that you would hear the words that Jesus spoke in parables and that you will lower your guard and allow them to truly change your life. I believe, including myself, that everyone here in this room, you desire change at some point in your life, probably right now. Maybe it's um, changing a situation. Maybe it's trying to improve or to fix something in your life. Maybe you want to be a better person. Maybe you want to be a better husband or a dad, a better wife or mother, maybe a better kid. I know uh, in high school we have some students that want to be better students. doesn't always work out that way, but they want better grades. Maybe you want to be better with your finances. I know I do. Hello. Amen on that one. Maybe you want to make better choices in life. There's a desire for change in all of us at some point in our life, and I believe the catalyst that is God's word is the catalyst for that change. I believe that God is willing and wanting to change things in our life to help us be better in whatever area of life that it is and that God is the one to do that. 
I want you to know that God's words, they're not meant just for a crowd. Like, they're not meant just for the church. God's words are meant for an individual, which means they're meant for a person, which means they're meant for you. And God's words are also meant for me. And as a staff, it's like, like, like Jared mentioned, in the summer, it's really easy to have vacations. How many of y'all love vacation, love time off, half the room? Other, I guess there are other halves just like to work all the time, not me. Um, but we know summertime is time to take vacation, time to relax a little bit. There's extra time in some of our calendars. We just want to encourage and challenge you. This is one of the best times to grow all year long because you have extra time to spend with God. And I believe, at least in my life, one of the most important ways that I grow and that I learn is that I hear God's words, that I hear what he's saying, not necessarily audibly, and we'll get into that in just a moment, but that we're hearing God speak. I believe that's a catalyst for changing However, when it comes to hearing, how many of y'all know that something could be said, but we all not hear the same thing? Like we can all hear the same thing, but not really take it in the same way. In Luke chapter 8, it says, Jesus called out when he introduced the parables, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 18, it says, therefore, consider carefully. So this is like lean in, like take time to press in carefully how you listen in the original Greek, there's two words for hearing. There's just the word hear as we would understand it. And then there's hearing to obey. There's hearing to do with what is asked or what is said. And so what I'm getting from this is that you could have one or two ears and still not be able to hear. We're working right now with our one-year-old. His name is Kai. He'll be one this week. And then we have a three-year-old, almost three. My wife does not like me adding months to their age. I'm sorry. She'll be three in August. We're trying to work on their hearing, trying to work on them listening. And it's like we want them not just to acknowledge that when we speak that their parents are alive. That's not hearing. Like, I don't need you just to look at me and look away. Like, I want you to actually do what I asked you to do or to do what I told you to do, depending on the circumstance. In our house, we believe that delayed obedience is disobedience. So I want you to listen to me the first time. Hear me the first time. Any other parents agree with that? Delayed obedience is disobedience. All the hands go up. So in a way, hearing is an action. It's an action, or maybe you've been married for a few years or been together with someone for a few years, and you have developed this technique, technique uh, called selective hearing. And I know the guys don't have this rep. Usually it's the girls. But Haley would, she'll ask, did you hear what I said? And it's like, yeah, and I'll repeat word after word after word after word after word after sentence after word what she said. But Haley and I know I really wasn't listening. The football game caught my attention way more than what she was saying. My point is that you could be all up in church hearing the message that God is speaking to everyone else, but miss the message that God is speaking to you. There is a word that God has for everybody and every message that's ever spoke. It's an individual word. It's not just for a crowd. God wants to speak to you. I'm beginning to learn that hearing has a lot less to do with your ears and has a lot more to do with your heart has to do with your heart. Today, I want to convince you with grace that if nothing is changing or growing in your life, if there is not fruit in your life, so what that is, if people aren't seeing how you live and are being drawn to Jesus, if there's no change, if there's no fruit, the issue is not God's word. If God's word isn't working in our life, maybe we need to check the condition of our hearts. 
If you have your paper Bibles with me and you're not already, flip to Luke chapter 8. If you have a paper Bible, today you get free coffee. Today only at New Life Church you get coffee out there. And if you have an electronic Bible, today there's free parking. And so we got you all covered. Luke chapter 8 is our main text today in verse 4. It says, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, to Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And so what they would do is have like a shoulder bag and there'd be all kinds of seed in there. And they'd walk on a narrow path and they would just kind of out to the left and out to the right. They would throw this seed, letting it land. It says, as he sowed, it said that some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some it on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil. Everyone say good. And grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so when we read scripture, a lot of times we have to pray or have to discern what scripture is saying. But in our text today, a few verses later, Jesus explains what he's saying. And so I think it'd be wise for us to see what he said about that. So let's read more in uh, chapter 8, verse 11. It says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so they may not believe and be saved. This lets us know this is serious, talking about being saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, everyone say, good. They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. A few observations here is the goal in this text is to bear fruit in our lives. The goal is to have fruit. That way when people see it, they're attracted to it. And that that fruit would be the one or be the thing that leads them to Jesus. The seed in our story represents God's word. The seed represents God's word, and then the dirt, it represents the condition of our heart, of the human heart. The dirt represents the condition of the human heart, and we have to notice here the seed is the same. The seed is the same, and so it's saying that God's word is the same, that God has always been the same. We discussed last time that from Genesis to Revelation that God has never changed. He never has and never will. He's always consistent, so his word, the seed is the same, but the dirt is different. Jesus here is not referring to four different types of people. And this is where I've got this story wrong before. He's not referring to four different types of people. What he's referring to is four types of seasons or attitudes in our own life. And so it's saying that all of us here, we have probably been in a season that was described in this verse or in these verses, but we might jump from season to season or from type of soil to type of soil until we become mature in Christ. It's said that the some of the dirt is hard, it's unresponsive, it's calloused. Some of the dirt is rocky, it's impulsive, it's inconsistent. Some dirt has thorns, it's worried or only concerned with what's happening in the world with riches and pleasures and comfort. And it said that some dirt is good and it bears fruit. The success of the seed has everything to do with where it lands. The success of God's word has everything to do with where it lands, the landing spot is the emphasis in the parable. 
In James 1.21, it says, So get rid of all that is wrong in your life, both inside and outside, and humbly be glad for the wonderful message we have received, for it is able to save our souls as it takes hold of our hearts. And so I believe from experience in my own life that true life change can happen with God's word, but it has to start in our heart first. And so we're going to take a few moments. If you haven't noticed, I'm not a doctor. We're going to take a few moments and examine the condition of our hearts. And so I'm going to ask you a few questions. And so if you would like to answer those questions, you can write them on your notes. You can write them on your neighbor's neck. I don't care. Just write them somewhere. That way you have the answers to these questions. These questions are important to discuss or to determine the condition of our heart. Question number one, is your heart hardened? Is it callous? Is it non-receptive? In verse 12, it said, the seed fell along the footpath. The footpath, it becomes hardened when people walk on it more. So the more that it's walked on, the harder it becomes. Maybe you're here today and you feel like that footpath that you've been walked on in your life. Maybe there's been some type of abuse. Maybe it's a physical or verbal abuse. Maybe you were passed over for promotion at your work or for a raise that you rightfully deserve. Maybe there's a prejudice or a label that's been incorrectly placed on you. That is hard in your heart to what people have to say, or there's politics that hardens all of our hearts. Maybe the church has hardened your heart. And I pray that it's never been our church, but I'm not naive enough to, to say that that probably hasn't happened. And so if you are here and we've ever offended you for some reason, please know that it was unintentional and that we love you and that we need you to reach this city and we just want to say sorry if that's ever happened, but that's not our heart. Our heart is to reach this city and to reach this state, and we need grace just like everybody else. Amen. I know it's easy when you've been offended by culture, when you've been offended by the church, to be hardened, to be unresponsive, to not really want to do anything in life. But Ephesians chapter 4 says, do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a foothold, but it always feels like those footholds in our life, those situations, those emotions it's like we could always justify holding a grudge, right? Like we could always justify the way that we feel with our words. The enemy, he would love to hinder our spiritual growth. No matter if you're a new believer, been a believer for 112 years, he would love to hinder our growth and our relationship with God. And one of his most used tactics, he'll convince you that it's okay to hold a grudge. It's okay to do you, boo-boo. Like it's okay to be offended at somebody that wrongs you. And even though it might feel good for a season, holding a grudge is not biblical. And second thing, holding a grudge eventually is only going to affect your soul and not anybody else's. That negative feeling towards that person, man, you got to release that to God. So how do you know if you're in this season, this hardened season? Do you constantly carry resentment or bitterness towards somebody or retaliation or revenge in your heart? Are you familiar with these things, resentment, bitterness, retaliation, or revenge? If you can answer yes, you might, be, you might have a little bit of this type of dirt in your life. Ephesians chapter 4 again says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He forgave me. So how does your heart become soft? You have to forgive people even when you don't feel like it and let God do the rest. Question number two, is your heart shallow? Is it impulsive? 
In verse 13, it says, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. Everyone say joy. Y'all don't sound like you got joy. Everyone say joy. When they hear it, there we go, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. This is that person who comes to church and like, I love church. This is great. This is great. And then as time begins to pass, it's like, this is good. I like church. It's okay. And then eventually it becomes non-existent. It's like God or the church was enough to stir their spirit, but unfortunately it wasn't enough to transform their souls. How do you know if you might be in this season or heading to this season in your life? It says, in the time of testing, they quit. They quit, and it rarely looks like, well, I quit church, or I quit God. I know that might happen, but a lot more often it looks like, I'm tired, I've worked all week, my kids are wearing me out, I am stressed. I don't want to talk to that smiling door greeter at church today, and so I'm going to sit at home on a Sunday. I'm going to watch Netflix with my best friend, Vanilla Ice Cream. Like, I'm just going to sit at home all day and just watch Netflix. Or it might, it might look like, well, I know I should spend more alone time with God, but my schedule's been really busy, and so I'm just going to take some time for me. I'm going to use my opposable thumb uh, to scroll the eighth wonder of the world, which we call social media. Or it could be a lot more serious in your experience and loss in your life. Or your experience in pain that you didn't plan or a bill you didn't budget or a life-changing scenario that you didn't schedule and all of a sudden you're having to choose your priorities. Again, the enemy would love to hinder your spiritual growth by convincing you to take the easy, the easy route, the easy way out. I'll get one of those right. The easy route, the easy way out. He'll convince you just to be comfortable. And a lot of times God's word is not comfortable. What God's asking us to do usually, unfortunately, is not comfortable, but it's always the best thing for us. Amen. I found out in my life the things that I truly desire in my heart, the things that Haley and I desire as a couple, what God has planned for me in my life are usually the hardest things to achieve. They're usually the things that are the hardest to achieve to get. And the way that I wrote this down is that struggles can either make you sit down and be quiet or they can make you stronger. And for me, sitting down and being quiet is a literal thing. I've mentioned it before, but when I was younger, the enemy would have my speech confused to where I hated, hated public speaking. Like junior high and high school, oral calm, hated it. College, having presentations, wanted nothing to do with it. But God would always like whisper through his spirit, but I place a seed on the inside of you to do what I've called you to do. What are you going to do with it? See, the enemy was telling me one thing in my life, but God was always trying to tell me something different. Everything, the enemy especially, was telling me, you can't do that, but God was saying, I created you for that. Boy, what are you talking about? I've learned that you don't know if you're grounded in your faith. You don't know if you're grounded in the word until they're tested. Like you don't know what you're standing on. Like you don't really know if it's going to hold you until it's tested. And at that point, what are you holding on to? What is your truth in that moment? James 1, 2 through 4, it says, consider it pure joy. Look, I don't like this verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How in the world could Paul say that? Consider it joy when you have hard times. 
Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It's a fruit. People will be able to see it. Perseverance must finish this work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's saying that you have to go through things in your life to receive something. That way, when you get on the other side, you already have it. So when we hear this type of word, that might not be the easiest to hear. Do we hear to listen or do we hear to obey? It doesn't always come easy when God's asking us to do something, but I promise you from my own experience in my life, it's always worth it. Question number three, is your heart distracted? In verse 14, it says, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares. One translation says worries. They're choked by the worries and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This is referring to being choked out. How many of y'all have been choked out before? Can we be honest in church? <laughs> I love seeing all the hands. First service, they were a lot slower than y'all. Y'all were like, yep, that's me. How many of y'all been knocked out before? Like you've been knocked out, not choked out, but knocked out. You've been asleep right where you were standing, and it wasn't your choice. So there's a difference. Y'all need to calm down. There's a difference in being knocked out and choked out. Knocked out is just like right away. Never been knocked out? Don't want to be. Um, choked out takes a little bit more time. Like oxygen has to be depleted from the source before you're choked out. So it's kind of like this process. Let me describe this experience I had in my life to you. Uh, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Uh, my younger brother, Seth, uh, he's younger because he was always bigger and always stronger. So he was my younger brother, a year younger than me. Um, at that time in our lives, we really didn't like each other a whole lot. Like we lived in the same bedroom because we had to, you know. And so today we're best friends. And so I'm not trying uh, to defame his name or anything like that. But on this day, I could see it in his eyes. And I say this kind of jokingly, but like not really. I could see it in his eyes. This day he wanted to kill me. Like it was, it was that time of my life where I was going to meet my maker. And uh, he decided to wrap his arms around my neck. We were sitting against this couch in our living room. And Honestly, miraculously, I don't know how I didn't die that day because it felt like forever that I was sitting there being choked by my brother. Oxygen is just like leaving, like it's not coming back in. And for some miraculous reason, our friend Max walked through the front door. And I think he saved my life that day. Like I'm kind of laughing, but I'm kind of scared. Like it's like I think he saved my life that day. It kind of reminds me of those frozen chicken nuggets like in the freezer, like after you use them, if you buy the off-brand, by the way, they don't come in a resealable bag. Uh, so you got to like get the air out of them. That way they don't ruin. And so you also don't want air to go back in. So you got to like choke the air out of this bag. And so you can see like this chicken nugget bag, you're squeezing the air out, you're twisting it a little bit, and then you're squeezing it some more and you're twisting it a little more. Like all the air is being deprived from this bag. That was my neck, like from my, my younger brother. I couldn't breathe, and y'all are laughing. <laughs> Jesus says what chokes us out over time is the cares and riches and pleasures of life. This is our culture. This is our culture. It's like we know the word, but the word doesn't match up with the comfortability that we want to live in. The enemy would try to hinder your growth again using the comfortability of your success or the routine of your busyness against you. And what I mean by that is like the old school phones, like the landlines, if you're under the age of 16, you're like, what's that? Um, the landlines back, you know, like you would call a landline, you would get a busy signal or you would get a voicemail. It's like when God's trying to talk to us, we're on the other line, we're busy and like we don't hear anything. I believe he's always trying to speak to us, but our schedules, our calendars, our routines, our plans, whatever it may be, like they 
give God this busy signal, and I've learned that God's word does not like to compete with anything else. So how do you know if you're in this season? Well, we're in middle-class America. This is the air that we breathe. This, for a lot of us, is who we are. Like, we're so busy, commitment after commitment, like we're in everything. Our kids are in everything, but maybe we're not in the Bible. Maybe we're not consistently in church. Maybe we don't have a consistent relationship with God. The enemy would love to use anything. and He would love to use anyone to make God second or third or 20th or non-existent in our lives. To kind of transition out of that thought, I want to ask you this very deep theological question. How much effort does it take to grow weeds? Now, don't get excited. I didn't say weed. I said weeds. Come on, church. It doesn't, some of y'all are like me, it doesn't really take any effort at all. My yard is quite good at this matter of fact. Like, I could pull out the weeds. My back hurts. I can plant seed. My wallet hurts. But the problem isn't the weeds. The problem is the soil right? Like it's not just the grass, it's the soil. When we start neglecting our personal time with God, when we're not going to life group, when we're not serving like God's asked us to serve, we're not taking that next step in our faith, whatever that is, weeds are going to grow in that season. But the problem is not the weeds, the problem is our heart. See, we see the weeds as an indicator, but it's an indicator of something else on the inside of us. And almost all of this comes from distraction. What do you need to say no to in your life so you can say yes to God this summer? Ten minutes a day, half an hour a day, a prayer every morning with your kids. What do you need to say no to when you're scheduled to say yes to God? I think for a lot of us in our culture, distraction is being attracted to the right things for the wrong amount of time. Distracted to the right things for the wrong amount of time. See, distraction has this tendency to take our attention for a moment. But then it has the potential to keep our attention for an hour, in a week, in a year. And unfortunately, distraction has the potential to keep our attention for a lifetime if we let it. What are you being distracted by in this season? That's a personal question. What are you being distracted by in this season? The last type of condition of our heart, this is the best one. If I was a doctor, I would recommend this one for you. This is the best. This is what we want our dirt to look like. Like, girl, your dirt looks good. Man, my dirt looks good when I look. This is what we want our dirt to look like. Turn to your neighbor and say, your dirt looks good. You thought you'd never say that in church or in your life, really. Question number four, is your heart ready? Is your heart ready? Ready for what? The way that I would see ready in our scripture today is that are you ready for God to use the good and the bad in your life to impact other people? Are you ready to let God use your life, the good and the bad things, to impact other people? One definition on Google Google is uh, ready means likely to do something that is indicated. Likely to do something that is indicated. How many of y'all have or have had a child under the age of three years old before? Everybody in the club. Yeah, so my three-year-old Ellie does not like to go to sleep, not at nap time, not at night time, not at any time. She is like World War III trying to get her to go to sleep for any amount of time, almost to no exception, unless she is sick. Like, she does not like to go to sleep. And she tries to convince us with her ever-growing vocabulary that it is not time for bed yet, that she's not ready to go to bed. There's always excuses for why 
she's not ready. Can any parents attest to what I'm talking about? Sweet, okay, a lot of us. All right, so she has these excuses like she wants to read a certain book. For some reason, she likes Christmas books in the summer. She wants to read a certain book before she goes to bed. Or her tummy hurts, she's hungry, she's thirsty, and she wants to feel those things before she goes to bed. Or she wants a certain blanket, not the six she has in her room, the one out in the living room before she's ready to go to bed. Her favorite is that she wants a Princess Ellie story, right? Like she loves Princess Ellie stories. And this is a make-believe story that my wife or I make up on the spot that has our daughter as the central figure. And it's always an encouraging, uplifting story, a positive, encouraging Caleb. Like it's always like uplifting to get her to go to sleep. She has all these excuses. Now, I know that adults never make excuses for God in church like kids do their bedtime. But she always had these excuses when it's time to go to bed. There's always indicators that she's ready to go to sleep. There's always indicators. Her attitude changes. Can I get an amen from the young parents in the house? Her, she gets a little whiny. She starts to talk back a little bit. Her feet start to drag. Her blinks get a little bit longer. I think the most obvious one that kids don't know what they're telling us is when they rub their eyes. It's like, I know what that means. You don't, but I do. It's always an indicator that she's ready for bed. There's some likely indicators in our next verse that will help us to see if our hearts are that ready type of soil that God is looking for. In verse 15, it says, as for that in the good soil, everyone say good. I feel like the right side of either like my right ear or the right side of the room is not as loud. Everyone say good. There we go. They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I see the word patience and automatically disqualify myself. My wife would tell you, my friends, I'm the most one of the most impatient people that you know. I don't like waiting on people, and I don't like waiting on God, if I'm being honest. Like, I want it my way, and I want it now. It also mentions an honest heart. I think that means being honest with God and being honest with people. With your hurts and your feelings, that goes for men too. With your sin and your issues, be honest with people, be honest with God. With your desires and your wants, God wants to hear those things. He doesn't mind your request. It mentions holding God's word. And I think in order to hold God's word, you have to be in it. It's not like referring to that you know, Christian that's carrying the Bible into every restaurant, trying to preach to the waiter. It's like, is the word in your heart? Are you holding to it? Those hard times that I mentioned earlier, when those hard times comes, where is your truth coming from? Is it coming from this nice slogan on Facebook, or is it coming from the word of God? Like, is it coming from a self-help book, or is it coming from the only book that can read you? Where is your truth coming from in your life? What are you holding on to in your hard times? It mentions a good heart and bearing fruit. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably been told, like, there are no good people. There was one, his name was Jesus. And I agree with that. So where does good come from in this verse, where it says good heart and good soil? In the Greek, it defines good. I love this. It says it's an attractively outward sign of the inward good that originates from God. So it's saying this good comes from God. You can't make it yourself. It's not anything that you can come up with. It comes from God, but then it's an outward thing that people can see. 
So it's involving other people, it's involving you, it's involving God. That sounds like a relational dynamic to me, and I could be a little off, but that sounds like relationship. John 15, 8 says, this is to my Father's glory, this is Jesus, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is saying it's a visual thing when you are a disciple of Jesus. This isn't some private faith. It might be a private decision but it's not a private faith. This is something that people, they should be able to see in your life. When we become more like Jesus, there's fruit. And people are attracted to that. Little do they know they're being attracted to Jesus. The thing is, it's really hard to produce good fruit in the wrong heart. Or in other words, it's really hard to produce good fruit in the wrong dirt. You know, in Genesis, it says that we were created out of the dust or the dirt that was on the ground. Like we were created out of the dirt. And so in a way, for a lot of us, dirt has a negative connotation. Like, boy, you got a dirty mouth or a, a dirty laundry or dirty money. Like it wasn't earned in an honorable way. Unless you're a landscaper, like, like dirt really doesn't have much value at all. But what I love about dirt, it's really the only substance you could plant a seed in in the right condition, and now it has the potential to grow and produce fruit. That's you, that's me in our life. Dirt, what we're made out of according to the word, really is we are capable of growing and producing fruit. I can't think of anything else on earth that's like dirt. I believe that God's planted a seed in all of us I know there's a lot of scriptures today, maybe a lot of content. I just, I wanted to bring it down to one question. And this question, I can't answer for you. Your neighbor might be able to, but I can't, but you definitely can. This question will help you determine where your dirt is at, what condition it is in. Are people drawn to Jesus by the fruit in your life? It's a simple question, but it's really profound. Are people drawn to Jesus by the fruit in your life? If you don't mind, all across the room, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? We know after reading his word today that fruit is based off of our hearts. So no matter what condition or season your heart is in, it has the potential to bear good fruit. It has the potential to bear good fruit. And what I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ is we don't have the capability to make our hearts good. We don't have what it takes. Like we can self-diagnose at times, but, we are but we're never able to fix ourselves. There's no one on earth that can fix us. That inward good comes from receiving the gospel and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In James 1.21, it says the gospel is able to save our souls. It's able to save our souls as it takes hold of our hearts. Talking about a transformation, if you're here today and you're ready, you're ready and you know you need a change, you know that you need a new heart, and look, maybe you've been in church your whole life or been in church a while, and you made Jesus your Lord and Savior at one point, but... 
because of culture or your schedule, you got distracted, or maybe because of pain, you got hardened or you got complacent or choked out by the cares and worries of this world, but you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You just need to make him center of your life again. Or maybe you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never given him complete control and put your faith in him. It's not saying you have all the answers. It's just saying I need a savior to save me from my sin. If either one of those two people are you today with no one looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you or call you out. Would you raise your hand if you wanna make Jesus your Lord and Savior so I can pray with you? I see you. As soon as I say, as soon as I make eye contact with you, put your hand down. I see you right here. I see you. Thank you. I see you over here. Got you. Got you. Got you. I got you over there on the left. I see you. Thank you, bro. You know, in our culture, a lot of us would define ourselves as a Christian, as a Christ follower. I mean, there's been many seasons in my life where he has not been number one, where I've chosen other things intentionally or not, and I believe in that there might be a couple more people here where you've been in those types of shoes where it's, man, I love Jesus, but he's not center of my life, and I need to make him my number one priority. Anybody else in this room today? Okay. Okay, if you raised your hand or if in your heart, man, you know you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You say this just loud enough for your ears to hear you. Let's repeat this prayer after me. God, I need you. I need a Savior. I know that I've messed up and I know that I'm not perfect. So today I place my faith in you. Knowing that you got my back and that you're the only one that can save me. Lead me by your spirit every day. Help me find a community of believers to have my back, to support me. Help me to serve in the church, to do what you've called me to do. Lord, I love you. I ask you in my heart today to be my best friend. Lord, we give you glory today for every hand that was raised in first service and in this service. And God, I let's look to my own life and just, I know that you saved me before I even knew who you were. God, that you were madly in love with me before I even knew of your name. And that same could be said for every soul that is in this room. No exception. Lord, thank you for being madly in love with us, for pursuing us, for never leaving us or letting us down. We place our faith in you today, Jesus. We thank you for the cross and what it means to be new, what it means to be clean and to walk in your footsteps. Jesus, help us to be a church that reaches the city and community in this state for your glory. God, we pray that heaven is crowded and that hell is not. Help us to be your church, the church of Jesus Christ. We love you so much. It's in your powerful, beautiful, magnificent name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, if you're thankful for God and what he is doing in our church, I'll give him some praise this morning. Amen.